Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. announce the topics that we have coming up next week. We have two events. The first one is a special panel discussion in partnership with the Lethbridge Public Library. It's developing a First Nations Education Act in Canada, a good idea or misguided legislation. That'll be at the Lethbridge Public Library Theatre Gallery on Wednesday, March 26th from 7 to 9 p.m. Free admission and everyone is welcome. We also have... um, Steve Critchley will be presenting on Thursday at noon here. And his topic is, How are Canadian military veterans surviving in a civilian world? So please join us for that as well. Um, There's a suggestion box, if you're not familiar, just in the lobby, where you can leave some suggestions. And I'm just going to bring our speaker back. A reminder, her topic was a truly diverse and equal society, the benefits of acceptance over tolerance, and Suzanne Dorge. And I just ask you to keep your questions. There's a microphone over there. Um, No questions from the floor. Please keep your questions brief and to the point. And I think that's about it. I think we can get started. Does anyone have any questions? Hi. Is it on? Hi, I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Hello. I'm also a transplanted American, but the America I grew up in no longer exists. Um, I'm a dual national, but I call myself bi, bi-national. It always gets a rise. Anyway, <clears throat> thank you very much for your very interesting talk. Um, I guess I'm kind of about of two minds about your premise of um, looking at specific groups within the society and seeing that they're represented. Certainly we do have to look at um, people who are not represented in society, but one of the things that I hate most about our society is that we tend to group people into categories. Seniors, immigrants, disabled, la la la. And that cuts us off from each other. But I laud your efforts in trying to get more voices represented from our diverse society. One group that I felt, if we're going to carve it up into groups, one group I felt that I didn't hear enough about was people with mental illness. Mm. Especially when we see that most of our street people uh, have some form of mental illness um, most of which is schizophrenia. So I'd like to hear how you go about getting people from this very marginalized group, many of whom are, have paranoid schizophrenia, so would not want to be involved in the kinds of efforts that you're talking about, because that could be a trigger for psychosis. So have you thought about people with mental illness, especially within the street people, and how would you get them involved without triggering some of their own fears? Thank you. Yes, okay, great. Yes, thank you for all that. And, um, you know, the whole thing about seeing people in groups, uh, you know, it's true, you don't want to just categorize people as these people, those people, the group thing. There's a risk there, eh? I think part of our approach is that you got to, is to be able to see that 
those specific differences, and then also you look at the commonalities. You know, you remember the ways in which we're all connected. In many ways, our common humanity and our common dreams, and and the fact that there's commonality across. Uh, one example would be with that would be when when we bring together a very diverse group of women and immigrant women and First Nations women in a training together. And I remember stories about um, about uh, how how learning from elders and and traditions and stories told from First Nations elders, and then a woman from the Congo raising her hand and saying, "You know what? That's just like in my country, where my grandfather was a chief, and that's exactly what happened there." So to see the commonality across differences is a really special thing as well. Um, the uh, the point about in terms of the people with mental illnesses or, or dealing with mental illnesses, I think most of our experience has been with women who are dealing with anxiety, depression. Um, um, I, I think of one woman, in, and, and in part women who are finding themselves in poverty, and this is part of the complexity of their lives. And I think one of the things that that's been a big part of what we do is trying to create spaces and backups for women. Uh, one of the women I work with is someone who will very bright, lots of skills. Uh, she can take on a lot of stuff, and then anxiety sets in, and she can't. Anxiety takes over, and she can't. She can't. She can't function. So what we try to do is we try to say, you know what? You're a good ideas person. We're going to get the ideas, and then when she starts saying, "I'll do this, this, and this," we try to help her support her and say, "Well, you know what? A good contribution you can make is this, but maybe you can't do that list of." because she's, she's got a real kind of hyper thing. Maybe you can't do all those things. Let's pick one and then support her to do that well. Uh, or uh, um, I think of a woman who's, um, uh, who, who actually is delusional and believes that her house is, um, is, is uh, bugged and uh, that, that, uh, that from back home, from her home country, she believes that the car's out front or are watching her house and she believes they're going to come and get her and they're after her for all these different reasons. But in engaging her and in, in this whole process, she, she, she has this incredible creativity that she was able to help us to produce this song which she led before city council, uh, which was, uh, please take the time to hear our views because when we vote, we'll think of you. We are women across the city. We represent communities. So there was a risk getting her to the microphone and her leading that before council. But because you don't know what's a good day and what's a bad day for her. But the very fact that we engaged her, uh, the people will tell you who, the social workers who worked really closely for her for the, for the five years where she was, real, no, maybe two years, I should say, where she was really engaged, she was the most mentally on track. And her paranoia began to go down. Now it's, it's got, And then it took over again. And she won't take medication, and so she hasn't been active for a while. But I think that's part of what we try to do is what are the strengths and how, how do you work within those strengths to help to build that along. And I can give many other examples. In terms of people who are, who are more, uh, you know, who are maybe dealing with really severe day-to-day -day mental illnesses, I'd say that's not a population we worked with as much outside of that. Uh, but but we have worked with the community health centers who do, where we've done focus groups and stuff, and trying to affirm what is the where is your value in this, you know, and all that time, where is your value? What's the value you bring? So we've done that more at the focus group level or community support level. Yes. Hi. Um, hello. Uh, I'm Rena Wass. Hello. Uh, thanks for your presentation. 
um, I don't know if you're specifically focusing to help women or if it's men as well. Mm -hmm. I'm all for helping all people, but it's kind of a, a, a balance. I realize we can't help everyone. Some will always need help. But what I'm looking for is balance, that we give them enough resources that they can um, utilize those resources and then get back into the flow of contributing to a wholesome society. And my vision is our creative challenge is to create a wholesome society, uh, a society that is responsible for getting by on their own steam as much as possible, taking care of their bodies, their minds, all of that. The resources are out there. But so it almost sounded like what you've got underway is a lobby group. And maybe to begin with, that's important. But, uh, you know, there is a side to it that I'm not really comfortable with at mm -hmm. the same time. So could you speak a little bit on uh, maybe how do you achieve a balance? Like, are there any initiatives, encouragement to get them to utilize and then get back and contribute? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, good stuff. So I think a lot of the women that we're involved with are contributing in all kinds of ways all the time. Some are employed, some are not employed. Um, many of them are, are raising their kids and are, or, or, and, and many, say, New Canadians um, are, you know, I went to a meeting once where it was about why aren't New Canadians civically engaged? Why aren't they out, you know, contributing in the community? And it was a wake-up call because all of a sudden there was a mapping of, wait a minute. In fact, I don't know what the situation is here, but in Ottawa, immigrants are contributing in all kinds of ways because they come from communities that are often more collective and more extended families and more communal than ours. And so there is much more of a culture of, 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 of charity. Say the mosque, it's a big thing in the Muslim culture, the charity you give. So there's all kinds of ways in which people are supporting each other and engaging in the community. So in the unpaid sector, I'd say a lot of the women with whom we work are putting in very long hours, raising their kids and contributing in the community and are probably the, the backbones and the leaders of their community. In terms of jobs, a lot of the women that we're involved with, it's because they, they get involved and they find their voice matters and maybe my value, I'm a value, that they end up, a lot of women, we lose track with them because they go back to school or then they are able to get a job because after staying at home with the, with the kids for a long time or being at home with a disability and not having, recognizing what potential I have, they may be out of the job market for a while. And that step back into the job market and getting things onto your resume and getting a sense of confidence and being able to go out and, and look for work in a market, you know, that's really hard to find jobs. Um, I think a lot of it is that self-confidence and that valuing. So part of what we do is we say, what is it you can get on your resume of this experience? You've facilitated focus groups on the recreation master plan. That's an incredible contribution to the community. The work, the, all the hours put in to, to design something, to facilitate it. And then now, this is a skill set that now when you go and apply for a community center, you can say... I went out and I facilitated focus groups across the city to inform city planning so that they recognize that even though they may not be paid for that work or the many ways that they're engaged in the community, that those are things they can put on their resume uh, toward jobs as, as you know, with jobs being one way of contributing in addition to the many ways that they volunteer. You know, I'm, I feel so fortunate that we have so many people in our organizations who are people with disabilities in the sense that they're people who 
who maybe because of their physical abilities are not able or their mental abilities are not able to hold down a job uh, for all kinds of multiple complications. But maybe they can put in five hours a week to, 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 to be engaged with the community. And that, and that uh, and it's, it's like seniors, you know. I mean, see, when people retire, as, as, as would be the experience of people in the room, that there's some time. And, and it's the same with people who are struggling with disabilities. They have limited, limited mobility, limited uh, in terms of ability to communicate, but an ability to give back to the community and uh, to be able to tap that and to affirm that has been real special. Yeah? Knut Peterson is my name. Thanks very much for coming all the way from Ottawa. For what it's worth, I mean, coming from Ottawa, I'm, I know, is sure the most the popular thing. <laughs> I'm sure the snow uh, made you feel right at home this morning. There you go. Uh, I wonder if you could touch upon the difficulties surrounding tolerance and acceptance of diversity. Um, it seems to me that you can't make people tolerate and you can't make people accept someone per se. Uh, do you think our educational system and schools are a very good place to start? If you, you know, it's, it's difficult for people to accept something that they don't like or even tolerate something they don't like. And there is a difference between tolerance and acceptance. I wonder if you can uh, touch upon that topic a little bit. I can tell you part of what we do in the city of Ottawa, and this is what the conversation we were having with city council yesterday and senior managers, was looking at some of the tools we use in the city. And that is that one of the things is, is, um, is looking at my own experience and what my own experience will help to inform. Because, you know, sometimes we see somebody who looks different than us and we assume that everything's different. But actually, sometimes you get in a closer conversation, you realize you have commonalities and things between yourself that you never knew. And sometimes it's, it, I think that helps to bring in acceptance because you realize uh, that commonality. So I think that's a piece. When you talk about tolerant is okay. You know, we'll, we'll allow you to be here. We'll put up with this. We'll put up with that. Where acceptance really is welcoming and, and what can we learn from each other. And I think sometimes that recognizing that commonality is a bridge to help to get there. And one of the things we, in, in the city of Ottawa, we have 11, 11 different uh, populations that are focused on and and for example, seniors is one of them, and 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 there's a there's a document on these different eleven groups that that uh, that where city staff can go to for quick information about about people with disabilities, about the GLBT community, about uh, 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 youth, about uh, First Nations or Aboriginal people, so that you can go and get some quick information. So I think yes, it can happen in the schools. I think it does happen young, and I think many ways. I don't know about what your sense is here, but my sense is my kids have grown up with a lot less prejudice than what I grew up with. Uh, and there's a lot less, you know, treating somebody differently because of the color of their skin or because of their language. There's much more of an acceptance. There's much more of a, of a sense of, 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 uh, of growing up, learning from each other than I think I knew I grew up with. And I'll raise issues that my kids just look at me like it's not even an issue for them, you know. So I think we can maybe credit the school system. I think we can, to the extent that has happened, and, and realize, of course, it does happen young, 
Uh, but also we can continue to do that learning throughout our lifetimes, eh? To, to move to not only, like you say, beyond tolerance to acceptance to really welcoming uh, the value of each person and what it is we have to bring, eh? But I think a lot of it's that commonality, realizing that commonality across difference. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Suzanne. It's very interesting uh, sharing you've given, and I, I love stories. I'm Mary Shillington. I'm a retired clinical social worker, so I've worked with many women that uh, are disadvantaged in various ways, and, uh, and, and giving them the, helping them to recognize their own power and having confidence in, their, in what they can do uh, is really important piece of it. So I respect the work you've done and really enjoyed the stories. Uh, I'm a storyteller myself. So um, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is, A, how you got started. Uh, so from that, what kind of advice would you give to people here in Lethbridge who might be interested in doing something similar or, uh, or supporting you know, what the council and the housing authorities and so on are doing? Uh, and and are, do you have paid staff? Uh, and and how, how, what impact has that made? So okay, those lovely. are a couple of things. Excellent. Well, how we got started, you know, I understand you guys have connections with the University of Lethbridge. They help to support these, this, this initiative that you have here. That's been really important for us. Uh, we started as a research project. Uh, a, a certain amount of money from Status of Women Canada to do a research project on women's access to decision-making. I mean, still we've got a world in which uh, women are city councillors about about a quarter, uh, on average a quarter of the city councillors across the country are women. And I know you've even got a smaller number here. Uh, and so how, why is that happening and how do you increase that? So that part of the decision was the importance of saying how do you increase, how do you increase women's access to decision making? So we did this research project, but again we needed to think about yeah, and make sure we're listening to all women because we knew that certain women, say like myself, were much more likely to be seen at City Hall bringing our views forward. And so who's not there among the women? So it was research. And but when we did that research, that gave us a precedent. And then we were able to go back to City Council and said, this is what we're hearing from women from all these different communities in the city and ways in which their experience, the, the, the difficulties in accessing services and ways in which they find their experiences aren't being heard. And it, that research, and again, working with academics to help inform that research and help shape that research uh, and the credibility of working with academics, then, uh, then that made that possible to get something passed through city council, which then set us up as a formal partnership with the city of Ottawa to work hand-in-hand hand with them on these issues. And um, so that's been key. And uh, the other thing about m- money and staffing, oh, my gosh, isn't it hard? And you see it happening, and when you, again, I look back here and I say democracy. I think one of the biggest challenges, coming to Canada 20 years ago, the differences I've seen so much since I came. I mean, when I first came here from living in Central America, but before that from the States, I was so amazed with the funding there was for groups uh, to, to work on social issues and to bring them forward. And that, that wasn't my experience in the States. I was jealous. I was jealous of all that. You know, I thought, oh, my gosh. I lived below poverty for so many years to try to address poverty issues and different issues, and, and, here, and here there's funding for this. I always thought it was so amazing. But I also have seen how that's dwindled more and more and more and how much harder it is. Status of Women funded us for years initially, but then there was a change in the criteria in recent years, as we've seen a lot of changes in the country, and one of them is the Status of Women will no longer fund 
organizations that support women's political engagement. So they would no longer fund us for that work. So that was a real, before they held up our work, United Way did the same thing. We, were, we, were, we won an award from United Way. And then suddenly United Way, our local United Way, would no longer fund civic engagement. So the spaces that fund groups to engage voices and to bring voices forward are fewer and fewer and fewer. And meanwhile, the social service groups are so busy trying to deliver the service that it's really hard to get that person with a disability to the microphone at council, you know, do the kind of work we're talking about. Everybody's just trying to deliver those services, and it's very hard. And so it is a real challenge right now, I think. I don't know about Alberta, but I can tell you, and definitely in Ontario, it's a major challenge to have funding. We lost our funding. We went down from three staff to myself a half-time as of a year ago. And we actually thought we might have to close our doors. And we kept things going, kept things going, and luckily different, uh, different religious orders and, and uh, different organizations actually came forward to, and now we're back up to three staff. Uh, but it's a constant sing and dance, you know, and we have money again from Status of Women, but it's because of the work we're doing with the city in equity, um, not the group work we're doing at the community level. So, uh, but you have to constantly reinvent yourself, eh? So I think that's how it's kept us going as we reinvent ourselves. What is it that the funders will fund today that they, you know, that they, they fund yesterday but they won't fund now? Now what will they fund and how do, how do you move forward from there? But the other thing I want to say is it's been very much working. We work very much in collaboration with the city. It's a partnership and we work in collaboration with many community groups and that is what makes our collective voice strong. Um, and help to work with city staff and councillors to bring forth issues that they too feel passionately about. My name is Van Christou. <clears throat> uh, thank you, Suzanne, very much for a, uh, for a, uh, a marvelous presentation. Um, if I may be permitted the, 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 the privilege of making a comment on one of your comments before I ask the question, uh, you mentioned the, the uh, fact that you feel that prejudice has, has uh, improved a lot in one generation. I think that, uh, that, that I've, I've had that same experience. I would agree with that. On the basis of prejudice uh, uh, ethnically and, and color-wise and so on. But I wonder if there isn't a new prejudice that's developing uh, that's, that's uh, in this plutocratic society of ours where we're getting such a division uh, between the wealthy and the poor uh, where money isn't becoming a measure of prejudice, a new kind of prejudice that's developing, that's separating people. And uh, particularly in cities where you get uh, CEOs from a corporation that's earning $100, 000, uh, $100 million a year, and uh, down the street from them there is a single-parent mother who can't put food on the table at the end of the month. Uh, when you get that kind of a division, you get a, a great division in where their children participate and what sports they participate in. And, and there's a new kind of prejudice that develops, I think. Anyway, that was just a comment on that fact uh, that I worry about. Um, at our table, we discussed the matter of uh, this, the problems, and I congratulate you and your groups for what you're doing. And I think it takes women to do that kind of, to give that kind of energy and, and that kind of uh, vision to uh, solving these problems that are developing in our urban communities. Um, we talked at our table about how quickly uh, we've become urbanized. That uh, not a hundred years ago, uh, most people were living uh, on farms. 
Uh, today, the, most people are living in the cities. And uh, new problems have developed within the cities, and those are the problems that, that you are dealing with and that we all have to deal with. And uh, I wonder if uh, it isn't time for us to have a look at the ideology of that, of the causes of, of this urbanization. Why, uh, all of a sudden, in Alberta, do we have 80% of our Albertan people living in cities where uh, just a generation ago uh, they lived, 80% lived on farms? And it's been re why has that been reversed so quickly? And I wonder if we haven't uh, some responsibility to look at the causation of this sudden move, because it's been very quick all over the world, from urban living, from, uh, from uh, rural living, people living on farms, to going into the cities and creating problems that they had never dealt with when they lived in a, in a small village or where they lived on a farm uh, in, and had their own little community. Uh, it's altogether a new environment that they're having great difficulties with. And uh, as Bev mentioned, uh, uh, how about the, uh, the people with mental problems? And maybe a great deal of that is part of the, uh, part of the uh, uh, result of urbanization as well. Um, what, what are your comments on that? Yeah, okay. Um, well, first of all, back to the very first comment. Um, I, I, I think it's so true, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of the women I work with living on limited income, their budgeting skills are far beyond mine, you know, because I, I don't have to watch every penny and every dollar to get by, you know. But at the same time, there's this, there's this wave of blaming the poor for being poor, you know, or blaming, you know, when indeed, you know, the wealthier someone is, the easier life is in terms of how you negotiate your life. Uh, but yet, uh, or you're quick to blame a person or uh, for, 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 for something that, you know, that, that is considered, uh, like, I mean, getting by on uh, Ontario disability is incredibly, incredibly difficult, you know, that, that the very poverty in which people live. Uh, and at the same time, we judge them for something they do, where indeed, are we judging those who are, who are taking huge amounts of money? Uh, and, and paying fewer and fewer taxes in our country all the time in terms of building up the social programs that help to create more equity for everyone. In terms of cities, I mean, that's a huge international question that everybody here probably would have some thoughts and discussion about. I know in Ottawa we are, uh, we are as I said, 90% rural, and that was not with the happiness of the rural community. Let me tell you, when amalgamation happened back in the 90s, it was kicking and screaming did not want to be part of the city. We are rural communities, and those rural communities had their own identity. They had their own way of providing recreation, of, of volunteer firefighters, of whole social systems that they had built up, and all the fundraising to get those recreation facilities, and all those things, and a pride of those things. And suddenly, the recreation facilities they'd run, the, you know, worked and worked to build up in their little local communities, suddenly became part of the city of Ottawa, following the city of Ottawa's rules and ways of doing things. And then you had to share across the whole city, as opposed to everything that, you know, being, and then all of a sudden you find your own little arena or whatever you can't access on a Saturday night. So, I mean, they've lived with that reality of small communities of now being part of a big city. And I think the other thing is, um, uh, you know, being able to access those services uh, is a great frustration for people in the rural areas. And then I think internationally, I was sharing at my table, I worked in Central America for years. And uh, I worked in the northern part of uh, Nicaragua, 
uh, would go out and do health promotion. We did training in, in, with health workers. And, and, and it was in the area where the cotton and the sugar cane and the bananas grow. And, but they didn't always grow there. There was a time when they were subsistence farms with orchards and, and, and everybody having their own plot of land, and they were all able to, to, to eat the food they needed. But indeed, the Alliance of Progress happened in, what was it, the 60s, 70s, and they're pushed off their land, and these become these huge export crop-driven and to see what that's meant to the people who then, their grandchildren, are the very poor people working on those farms and the environmental degradation that's come from that. And so what do they do? They move to the cities. So to see those kinds of things happening around the world are, are big questions in terms of how we, how we indeed challenge that and, the, and losing that quality of life on the farms and in the rural areas. Um, so that's maybe one comment. I'm, I'm aware of time here might be, and I know there's one other person. Should yeah, I? Yeah, one more question, please, but... Uh we, have, we still have a few minutes. Okay. So that's, that's maybe, I don't have a lot of wisdom, but it's a very important question. You know, the importance of what is happening in terms of the urbanization of our world uh, and uh, people going to the city for the big dream, and then that dream is not the reality, you know, when people get there. Uh, Terry Shillington, thank you very much for your presentation. Um, Van's question about the new uh, uh, division, uh, uh, social division between rich and poor uh, reminds me of something I've been pondering as I listen to you speak. I'm thoughtful about the fact that men are not included in your focus of concern. And I understand all the reasons why women need to be empowered. But I observe uh, looking around this city that if you're poor, and male, it can be a very unpleasant and unfriendly mm-hmm. place. And I know if you're middle or, or upper income, uh, you've lots of accesses to power. But if you're a poor male, uh, uh, there are sometimes very few helps. Uh, any comments? Yeah. That's why what I talked about when we, when we first worked with the city around uh, gender equality, the thing is looking at the differences between women and men. So to realize that a given service or a given something, there may be something that, a, you know, that men have a particular need for or that women, but realizing they may or may not be the same. So within our work, um, we're working with women because it's about women's empowerment, but the women are also catalyst in the community to work with men in terms of identifying the issues and moving them forward. So a lot of the, a lot of the people with whom we work are men, uh, and we also, when we work with the city, it's about equity and inclusion. So it's, it's immigrants. It's all immigrants, women and men, seniors and young immigrants. It's, uh, it's the same with all the different populations when we're working with the city. So it's really about, I think for us, it's, it's recognizing that indeed that's the case. And, and, so, and, there, and so our work is about helping women to be catalysts to help raise that awareness. And, and they're facilitating focus groups with women and men often in those groups who are sharing their different experiences. So, so that definitely comes through in the work that we do. Please join me in thanking uh, our great speaker for such an informative talk.